How close are we to replacing oil and natural gas with more sustainable fuels for long-distance, heavy-duty trucking? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. the talk of alternative fuels for transportation, oil and gas still rule. In fact, oil continues to account for around 90% of all fuels used in trucks today. And the numbers aren't very encouraging. Around 7% of the fleet consists of heavy to medium duty trucks, which use more than a quarter of all fuels. What's more, analysts expect a 70% increase in the amount of fuel needed for that sector between 2010 and 2040. So what's to be done? Today I'm talking to Ryan Schuhard, Associate Director for Climate Change with BSR. It's a nonprofit network of some 250 multinational companies, including many involved in supply chain and logistics, with the goal of promoting environmental sustainability. He tells us about BSR's Future of Fuels initiative, aimed at procuring more sustainable fuels for commercial trucking. And he shares the results of a new report that helps to answer some of the big questions about the prospects for sustainable fuels in transportation. So here is my conversation with Ryan Schuhard. Ryan Schuhard, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Bob. Why are we even having this discussion about the importance of alternative fuels? Why do transportation fuels matter to sustainability in the first place? Well, the transportation sector is uh, about a quarter of global energy-related emissions, and this sector is rising faster than any other end use, like buildings or agriculture. And there's a couple of sides to transportation. Uh, There's the passenger and the freight side. And we're especially concerned with freight uh, for a few reasons. Number one is that international freight is quadrupling by 2050, we expect. And a big part of freight is medium and heavy-duty vehicles, which are just a big part of the problem. So 7% of the vehicles on the road um, are heavy and medium-duty vehicles, uh, and they use about uh, over a quarter of the fuel and fuel demand in this sector is expected to grow by uh, 70% uh, from 2010 to 2040. Uh, and then the other thing that would just concern listeners uh, of the podcast, in particular is freight, is, is especially relevant to the supply chain. All right. Well, tell me about BSR's Future of Fuels initiative. Well, just to um, give you a little bit about BSR, firstly, we're a nonprofit network of about 250 global companies who we work with to create a more just and sustainable world, uh, which we do through research, consulting, and cross-sector collaboration. Uh, So our members are multinational companies across sectors, include major transportation logistics companies, as well as companies that have fleets, um, and then just a lot of companies that are interested in supply chain and logistics issues uh, in in Asia and around the world. We also have a lot of banks uh, and retailers that uh, are interested in this, this issue. We've been around for 20 years uh, working globally. 
So the Future Fuels is one of our collaborative initiatives that's focused on climate change and transportation fuel. And um, it is a consortium of the largest, some of the largest road freight operators that are seeking to increase the supply of low greenhouse gas fuels, increase the sustainability of fuels generally, and um, drive better analysis and understanding of, of the issues. So you've put out a paper, which we will link to in the show notes, but is this an annual effort? Is this something that you redo each year, or is this a paper that's just come out and uh, it, it just sort of sums up the situation as it stands today? This paper is the sustainability impacts of fuel, understanding the impacts of transportation fuel for trucking in North America. It's a survey of, of two elements of, of transportation sustainability. Number one, what we know about the, the fuel markets in general, and number two, what we know and don't know about sustainability of fuel. We just um, essentially finalized a paper that we wrote a working draft for in 2012, uh, and it's, so it's been three years, um, and it's pretty long, so we're not updating it annually, but it's, um, you know, we're, we're looking at it intermittently. Well, let's talk about some of the conclusions and the findings of that study. You say what we know about fuel markets in general. What do we know? Well, there's, there's several important things to frame this discussion. So firstly, what we're trying to do has two major areas um, to work on. So the first is uh, about demand side. So improving efficiency, um, creating more optimized routes for freight, uh, telematics, which is vehicles guided by computers, uh, urban use, uh, urban land use planning, um, which essentially reduces demand for fuel. The second side of this is the supply side, which is the content of fuels. Um, we are especially interested in su the supply side through this initiative um, because the IPCC, that's the International Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, says that we need to expand low carbon fuels from about 3% in 2010 to over 30% in 2050 in order to stabilize climate change at 2%, um, so excuse me, at 2 degrees. Uh, this has been especially difficult, um, and so we're, we're quite focused on, on the problem. So very roughly, the current mix of fuel is about 90% oil, 3 to 4% biofuel, 3 to 4% natural gas, and 1% uh, or less for, for electric vehicles, hydrogen, and other fuels. We know that, according to the IEA, the International Energy Agency, we could cut emissions by 30 to 50 percent uh, through 2030 um, in a combination of demand and supply side measures. So there's really a lot that has to be done uh, overall. By biofuel, you mean like ethanol-based fuels and stuff like that? Yeah, that's exactly right. So biofuel would include both um, the, the biodiesel side and then ethanol. Diesel would tend to be uh, more common in, in freight and heavy-duty trucks. So how close are we? What, what, what kind of conclusions do you get from the papers of how close we really are to replacing the fossil fuels with some of these alternatives? Maybe we can run down those, those possibilities that you just named. So this is, this is the magic question. Um, just to, to frame this a little bit, it's important to understand what are, what are the challenges and why, why we're not um, closer than we are already. So just from a, a, a fuel user's or a commercial fleet operator's perspective, there's, there's some key challenges. So the first is the cost, given current policies and the incumbent systems for basically for oil. Um, number two is the ener energy density of fuel, uh, or the other side of this is the range. So basically, um, the range is very important. Um, range 
in fuels outside of oil uh, or oil-based fuels um, tend to be much lower, uh, and that's a major sticking point. And then the third is that uh, from a, a company's perspective that's using fuels, they need to pilot the fuel in, in, the, in the alternative vehicle that it would be used and then cycle it into the fleet. Uh, but this is a new technology going into a system of very long-lived assets, um, so it just takes time. That's in a, in a kind of a micro sense. But then if you scale this up to um, more of a global perspective, um, these concerns, you know, these exist uh, everywhere throughout different commercial fleet operators. The problem and the solution is very fragmented in that we need vehicle manufacturers to, be, to do more to innovate and provide different uh, alternatives. We need fuel providers uh, to do the same. And then we need the companies who don't produce either of those things to be testing and investing. So that's a challenge. And then the third and, and final big one is that there's international demand growth that's due to rising populations and, and rising standards of wealth around the world, which are creating the upward pressure on, um, on the fuel use that I mentioned before. So the point is the, um, there's great de- uh, demand growth in oil uh, overall. Have there been any successful pilots of the application of some of these fuels to heavy and medium-duty trucks? Yes. In general, when we look at the, the BSR member companies and the future fuels companies, include Walmart, UPS, Coca-Cola, and PepsiCo, they're all piloting these um, alternative fuels and vehicles um, to, to different extents. Uh, UPS, in particular, they, they talk about their fleet as a rolling laboratory, and they're doing everything from electric to CNG, LNG, which is compressed natural gas, liquefied natural gas, you know, different biofuels. They're trying everything. So there's a lot, there's a lot going on, and there's kind of two sides to the trend. Number one is there's, a, there's definitely um, a, a, a rapid onset of diversification of, of fuels uh, in terms of examples and case studies that companies are piloting with. But the second part of it is that we're just seeing a very long tail of the transition, essentially. The other thing I would mention is just with, with freight, I, I mentioned that you've got uh, this power density issue to think about, and it becomes more important with heavier loads that go farther distances. So it's it's especially challenging with long-distance, heavy-duty freight to move to anything beyond diesel. You, we do see it with um, electrification and CNG, compressed natural gas, with, with work trucks that don't travel very far, like garbage and dump trucks and city buses. But it's looking like a, um, a longer road for uh, the long-distance um, You mean the technology for the long-distance super-heavy trucks just isn't there yet? That's exactly right. If you look at the different uh, classes of, of trucks, and their, their vehicles are in essentially one-day classes. One is, is, is small passenger vehicles, cars. Class 8 are the big heavy-duty long-distance tractor trailers. Um, most really don't expect the, um, the, the Class 8 long-distance trucks to be um, running on much other than, um, than diesel and liquefied natural gas uh, for, for quite a while. So far, the money and the effort then that has brought us to the point we're at, is that coming mostly from the private sector? Is there also government money? Is there academia and research institutes? Where is the main source of the progress to date? It's all of the above, uh, all of those things you mentioned. There's a, there's a lot of action uh, happening just because of interest from companies in moving beyond petroleum fuels. This has been fueled in part by um, low natural gas prices, at least uh, a few years ago, low relative natural gas prices. Uh, We've also got a really uh, strong help from governments in making the markets for biofuels and for other um, alternative 
fuels and, and, and low emissions vehicles, say in California, uh, with the low, low carbon fuel standard and their related work. So policy is, is pretty big. And then, of course, on the, the academic slash research side, the sustainability impacts are so important to, to understanding and addressing, and there's really a lot of important work that's been done and a lot more that needs to be done. But the cost issue, first of all, the cost of these fuels is going to at least be at the outset higher than the cost of, of regular gasoline or diesel, right? Well, there's it depends. Um, so in, in some cases, that might be true, um, but you have, to, you have to consider a few different things. Number one, we, we don't yet have a level playing field uh, in, in that there's a, the price. We don't have a price on carbon, um, generally speaking, for, for diesel and oil. If we were to price that into the market, um, you would see that alternatives would, would start to look a lot better. So, so that's number one. Number two is even without that, in many cases, in electric uh, operations for uh, intra-city trucks, we do see payback periods of, I think now it's three, four, five years, where the, the electric vehicle actually looks better than the diesel alternative. So it's not true that they're, they're, they're inherently more expensive, and it's not true that they're practically more expensive in all cases now. But it would require fleets to purchase new vehicles to accept the new fuels. I mean, to what extent will it require new vehicles versus simply being able to equip current vehicles uh, to, to handle the alternative fuels? It's, it's a combination of both. So in some cases, uh, there, there are drop-in fuels with, with biofuels that you could, you could accept a, a higher mix of. There is a lot of interest in just a kind of a silver bullet drop-in fuel that will replace diesel or gasoline altogether. Um, so that's one strand. The other strand is, as you suggest, yeah, it's actually new, new vehicles um, that run on different fuels, including electrification. And that could be a big issue because a lot of truckers today have already been required by various states and, and federal regulations as well to purchase new equipment that uh, is of lower emission, especially in California. So they've just gone out and bought new trucks. And now all of a sudden uh, they would be asked to go out and do it again. <laughs> so doesn't that create a problem in the industry in that way? Well, that speaks to the, the, just the inherent challenge that you, with, with the fleet, you've got a, a stock of long-lived assets that you need to depreciate over time and cycle in uh, assets, vehicles, as it makes sense. So I think in most cases, if, if companies have bought new trucks, um, they, they have that in mind, and so it's a matter of staging and phasing uh, and piloting them in. Where do you think the money will come from in future? Do you think that it needs to be from the government to a certain extent, as well as private sector? I mean, who's going to pay for what is at least up front going to be an expensive effort? So it's a combination of, of things. Um, the first one is, as I said before, we, we don't actually have a level, level playing field uh, as far as, as carbon and other sustainability impacts go. So society right now is paying for uh, a lot of the, uh, the impacts from petroleum-based fuels. Uh, so as we correct that, we will naturally see uh, the, the alternative low-carbon fuels looking more attractive. So that's number one. Part of that, what we're seeing through the low-carbon fuel standard, for example, in California, is there are reinvestment funds that can, that can be used to support um, some of the alternatives. So there are, ways, there are ways to structure this from a policy standpoint that um, can 
can assist with with uh, the innovation. The other side, separate from policy, um, is is that we need companies who use fuel and big and have big fleets to be more creative uh, and ambitious with telling the vehicle manufacturers and the fuel providers that they care about this. And we know they care about it. Uh, we just don't see them sending a, a strong, clear, and consolidated signal that they need to. And that's one thing that VSR is working with uh, the, the fleet operators to do more of. What about just in terms of selling this concept to industry? We've talked about what the upfront costs would be. We've talked about just the difficulties of buying new equipment and equipping for new fuel. But there have also got to be some pluses. What are some of the advantages to a trucker to adapting these new fuels? Will they not in the long run save a certain amount of money? And have you quantified to any extent how much that might be? That's a really good question, and it's it's case by case in terms of what what fuels will make the most sense, and it, it really depends in part on uh, what policies come in place and um, the 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 investment conditions that that allow longer term regulatory certainty. So the the fact is we need more policy to make to make this work better. Uh, I would also say though that I've you know I've we come at this from a sustainability focus not the only thing that companies care about. In fact, it's not usually the first or the second. But it is something that large multinational companies are, are um, very interested in. And they, they want to get this right. They want to um, understand that they have, that they're contributing positively to addressing climate change, which is an existential problem of our, of our time. And uh, transportation fuel is, is really one of the key areas uh, for doing that. Do you at BSR have a have a sense of which of those alternative fuels that you described earlier might hold the greatest promise for commercial heavy trucking? That is a very popular question. Um, so I would say, just to start out with, when we when we think about the future of fuel, one of the the clearest uh, projections is that while in the past there is essentially a a single fuel, which has been oil. Or diesel and diesel and gasoline. Uh, in the future, we'll see more of a polyfuel economy that will have natural gas, biofuels, various types, electrification, uh, some hydrogen, uh, and some other fuels, as well as, as oil and and um, its, its various components going forward for some time. Um, that's really one of the the most obvious things that we can say. Um, most people have a have shown to have a very hard time predicting what future uh, markets will look like. It wasn't very long ago that the oil majors didn't think that there was really much natural gas to be had in um, in the U.S., and even more recently still, um, not many people had predicted the low oil prices that we see today. So it's very hard um, to predict what will be the, you know, the fuels of the future in, in exactly what, um, what amounts on its own, and also consider that policies have a huge effect on what uh, actually gets developed. So it's very hard to say other than we know that there will be and should be uh, more diversified fuels in the future. Do you believe that the recent surge in oil production and the drop in fuel prices or oil prices that you described might actually serve as a temporary disincentive to progress in this area and might lengthen the timeline that these alternative fuels can come into being? There's a lot of, of different effects that, that low versus high oil prices can have alternative uh, low-carbon fuel markets. I think one of the most important is that it, it gives policymakers a, a little bit of space to think about 
incorporating carbon tax or carbon price or, or uh, carbon cap, however you want to think about it, uh, into the system. So this uh, is actually a historic opportunity. I heard you also talk about telematics. That sounded like an interesting angle, the application of technology uh, to the over and above the actual use of the fuels. To what extent can technology help to advance the cause of alternative fuels and trucking? It's absolutely fundamental. And uh, to, again, there's there's two major prongs on, on improving the sustainability impacts of fuel. One is, is si- simply reducing the demand or the use of the fuel. The other is on the, uh, the, the supply, the content or the quality of the supply of the fuel. We're seeing lots of innovation with, um, you know, just with, with mapping and with um, dashboard computers and system routing with, with companies and freight. Uh, so it's absolutely important, and it's especially important when you think about um, the emerging economies in Asia and elsewhere where cities are, are rapidly growing, uh, and we've got a lot of freight going in and out of them. The way that we plan the cities and then the way that we use technology to, to route our freight uh, is absolutely huge. What kind of progress is happening outside the United States? Is it more or less than we're seeing here? It's a different issue in, outside of the U.S. I mean, in general, in the, in the U.S., the, uh, the overall level of, of GHG emissions and of transportation fuel are relatively stable, but it's in uh, it's in Asia uh, and then the Middle East and other other emerging markets where we just simply have a lot of people that are uh, climbing in, into the middle class. We have populations growing and cities rapidly expanding, um, where life just looks very different and the emissions and the fuel use are are growing significantly. So in some cases, we have cities that are getting it right and they're becoming highly dense. But there's a lot that we still have to work out. I mean, there are a lot of, there are a lot of the emissions that we're concerned about are, are those that are meant to come from power plants and fuel, which actually haven't been created and, and burned yet. So we want to make sure we get the, the policies right and the company activity in those, in those areas right, too, and not just focus on, on North America. But it often seems that, seems that Europe takes the lead on on environmental issues with respect to alternative fuels because it is so crowded, the distances are shorter. Regulations often seem to originate there when it comes to environmental issues. So I wondered if Europe is more advanced than we are on the use of alternative fuels for commercial transportation. I don't know if that's true for transportation necessarily. I think uh, the California is arguably where some of the the, the greatest uh, action is happening with with the low carbon fuel standard and its its related policies. Uh, but it but it does raise a, a broader point that um, where governments are involved, you 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 see a lot more action on this. Well, we're almost out of time, but I just want to ask you on whether you're speaking on behalf of BSR or in your own opinion. What is your projection for the increased use of low-carbon fuels in the coming years? What do you think the timetable realistically is going to be? I think the, the timetable is right away in that the, the companies that we're working with are, are piloting and experimenting with alternative fuels and vehicles. And we need them to, um, to work together to create more of a signal to both manufacturers and fuel providers that they care about this and that they understand that this is about not just them procuring fuel right away, but about transforming the marketplace, and then telling the same thing to policymakers. We know the companies care about this uh, on their own, and um, we understand that, that one of the 
most important things that they can do is make this better known to policymakers. But have you established any hopeful benchmarks? Like you described, 90% of fuel is still oil-based. Is there? Would you like to get that down to X percent less over X number of years? Have you set any kind of a schedule in that way? That's a great question, and this raises uh, one of the um, one of the areas we're focusing on uh, in particular, which is building a uh, an analytical criteria-based fuel sustainability platform that would look at the um, the impacts of fuel based on objective criteria. So you hear a lot of uh, of lobbying about uh, w- what fuel should be the fuel uh, of the future. Um, you hear that both from uh, industry groups and you also hear it from um, activists or NGO groups that that sort of have horses in the race. We feel that this this system would benefit from a greater emphasis on the performance criteria when you think about what are the impacts that we care about. So, for example, uh, a common objective performance criteria for climate would be uh, grams of CO2 per megajoule. And this is something that um, that some of the different government agencies are already working on. It's pretty common, commonly used among um, researchers. We need to use this and then get to similar metrics that, that consider the whole life cycle impact, so from the well all the way to the, the wheels, uh, looking at the different um, uh, impacts we care about. And we, we need to have a discussion about that. But I, I, I hear you say what we need to do. But I think what I'm asking is what do you think we really are going to do based on, based on human, human behavior, based on cost, based on the pluses and minuses of the whole thing? <laughs> are you optimistic this is going to happen in the short term? I'm, I'm optimistic it's going to happen uh, in steps. And absolutely that, um, that, that both citizens and companies are going to rise to the challenge to understanding that we, we need to encourage uh, the policies to make this work. And we will see companies taking it seriously. Uh, so I'm optimistic. I don't, ha- I don't have a number in terms of, um, you know, what share which of the fuels will take. But I do think we're going to see a rapid um, shift to low-carbon uh, fuels and vehicles, starting in a few key areas where um, there's already some momentum um, and, and as companies get a lot more um, excited about this. Ryan Schuhart, I want to thank you so much for being with us today to talk about BSR's Future of Fuels initiative and the prospects for the use of low-carbon fuels in transportation. Thanks very much for being with us. Thank you, Bob. That was my conversation with Ryan Schuhart of BSR, talking about the future of fuels for trucking and other modes of commercial transportation. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.